All right. Welcome, everybody, to uh, Church of the Geeks uh, shot at Theocon Thursdays. Uh, we are talking tonight about um, anointing fantasies, uh, that is, uh, sword spells and messiahs. Uh, what is, uh, it seems to be a commonplace uh, notion within fantasy, uh, the fantasy genre. I don't want to say just literature, but within fantasy, um, we uh, get messiahs popping up all over the place. And, well, there's a pretty big connection to sort of uh, comments around uh, uh, or themes around uh, theological things with messiahs. So, but first, um, I am uh, your host tonight. I am Brian Bennett, campus pastor in Pittsburgh, PA, uh, where um, I'm also the uh, co-host for the podcast Church of the Geek. Um, and uh, let's turn to the other uh, introductions. So, uh, Shana, can you introduce yourself? Sure. Hello, everyone. I am Shana Watson, the founder and creator of Theocon, where theology meets pop culture. Brian is um, one of my teammates. I want to give a quick shout out to um, the others in our group. Uh, Will Pastor Will Rose, also ordained in Lutheran Church. Maddie Brake, um, who is a professor at George Mason University, as well as Jacqueline Fuller, who is the president of the religious conference um, that is headquartered in Washington, DC. And um, Missy Whitus, who is not able to be with us tonight. Um, so forever grateful for my team and working together for making this happen. And I am a priest in the um, Episcopal Church. Great. Ashley and Alan, can you introduce yourselves, please, since you're, you get to decide who goes first. <laughs> I'll let you go first. Oh, well, thank you. That's very selfless of you. Um, my name is Ashley Mowers. I am one third of the MinMax podcast. I am currently working as the communications director for the Episcopal Church of the Good Shepherd in Brentwood, Tennessee. Um, the title's very new to me because we just moved here less than two months ago yeah, just barely so we're still settling in um and uh I'm, I'm originally from wisconsin so i'm really settling in um but yeah we're really excited to be here uh, my name is alan mowers i am an additional third of the minmax podcast uh, i'm a professional creative by trade uh but i like to call myself a professional nerd uh i do photo video i'm a content manager for an advertising consultancy here in franklin tennessee and uh, yeah, we make up part of the MinMax podcast, which we, we specialize in uh, conversations and things around gaming, nerd culture, and theology. We get real geeky all the time and get lost in all sorts of tangents on our own podcast with regards mm -hmm. to anything and everything within geekdom. So uh, we're happy to be here. Awesome. So great to have you guys. Um, your, uh, your podcast is uh, very enjoyable. So well, thank you. Thank That's you very much. Thank you to say. <laughs> So, so to get started tonight, I thought it'd be just, um, let's dive right in with the notion of um, who is your fantasy messiah? Like if you had to call on one, who are you calling on? Oh Go gosh, on when, he, when he frames it like that, I, I'm really worried about my answer now. <laughs> <laughs> That's <laughs> 
It's all in fantasy world. It doesn't, you know, there will be no eternal uh, ramifications for sure. Well, naming. I mean, like maybe maybe wait until you say that. Uh, <laughs> well, because I I was thinking about since you asked this last week, I've been thinking about it all week. Thank like, you for just, thinking about it. You're welcome. I do I do try to do that sometimes, and I was I was truly agonizing over it, trying to think of like what my favorite would be, um, and I realized that I don't. I don't think I have like a, a favorite only because I'm so often disappointed by the ones that I've encountered because I'm, I'm hypercritical and that's my flaw that I need to work out in therapy. But um, like, I, I just, I get too nitpicky with the attributes that are put forward in I think like fantasy messiahs and, and chosen one tropes. So, so then I realized the ones that I am actually very interested in, uh, are in video games as the player character because I like to see how people make decisions going forward in the video game, knowing that they're playing the role of the Messiah. So when you were like, who would you call on? I really worried that was gonna translate into, well, I'd call on myself, of myself. course. Um, yeah, exactly. Um, but I, I do find that really interesting when people are stepping into the role of Messiah in video games what that sort of interactivity and that choice making does um right. and, and what that kind of says about how they believe a messiah should act if they're taking it seriously there are certainly friends of mine and i've done this myself where i make goofy actions and in intentionally you know like aggressive actions because i think it would be funny for the story um ways you can shoehorn somebody to be a messiah while just acting terribly but um i think if you're if it's a, a gripping narrative and you are playing that role as you would think the role to be, it can tell you a lot about somebody, how they, what they value in people and what they value in, you know, leadership or how they, you know, sort of manifest what a Messiah is. I think that's, um, I think that's a good, uh, I think that's a, that's a good one. All right. So, um, good one. Good answer. Oh, thank you. <laughs> we'll go to, we'll, we'll, we'll jump the window for the moment and we'll go to Shana. Um, I'm thinking of a, of a few messiahs. Um, of course, one of the first ones that come to mind, if, if, I'm, if we're talking video games, it would be Kratos in God of War. Oh, yeah. Mm. I love him because he's so rugged and so imperfect. So I love the, the aspects of, of that Messiah or the fan fantasy Messiah as that just rough and rugged and passionate um, and just like imperfect and needing guides along the way. So um, I'm also thinking about Harry Potter who lived a very deep life of grief and in his becoming this kind of messianic figure or this um, savior figure, you know, he's still identifying um, who he is and what his purpose is. So for any type of hero or, or savior or fantasy messiah, I always look for those, those grittier pieces because I find myself imperfect and making mistakes. And sometimes I'm, I think that I'm being helpful, but I'm really being harmful and you know, the redemption in that. So, so those are the two um, characters in particular that come to mind. All right, Alan, how about you? All right, so I think that there's one that comes very, very easy, and <laughs> it is not 
because it is current, I want to make this very clear. <laughs> I am not just jumping on the bandwagon here. I will cr- I will hold the battle cry of Muad'Dib louder than anyone because I've been rocking that for 20 years. <laughs> Much to my chagrin. <laughs> I got, I became exposed to Dune when I was in junior high and yeah. absolutely fell in love with it. So um, for all of his flaws, for all of the really problematic things that happened to Paul, like being made into uh, a basically a computer and uh, being forced to go down the Mentat route, even though he didn't realize that was happening to him. Uh, be that he was basically, for lack of a better term, groomed for this role over several hundreds of years to become this, uh, to, to fulfill the prophecy of the Nishinata Productiva. Like, th- there's so much that goes into this. Um, so yeah, I, I, for all of his flaws, now we're, we're, just, we're gonna stop it at Dune. We're not gonna go to Children of Dune. Because no? mu- much, much like David, this goes very badly. <laughs> and you learn a lot about what that doesn't mean. Um, right. Though I will say the one that did, I had a secondary one that I'm chewing on. And Go ahead. If, you, if you've ever listened to MinMax at all, if you've ever met me on the internet at all, mm-hmm. um, I am one of the biggest fans of Patrick Rothfuss's Name of the Wind series. And I have the question, and it's more of a question and pondering thoughts, is does Quoth's encounter with the cafe make him into some sort of messiah-like figure? Does that put him on a path because of the cafe's power to influence the future to its will? Mm. Does that make him an arrow into the future to achieve some purpose that is yet unknown to us at the cafe's behest? Mm. Just a question I've been pondering as I've been thinking about this this week. Mm-hmm. I think it's a really good question. Um, Cause I don't, I think that's one of those ones that is not a, um, it doesn't necessarily hit all of the, the buttons for Messiah, but, but, um, and, and I think it's clear. I think, I think we should say, I mean, I think that it, within fantasy, there are certainly um, heroes or protagonists that are not Messiah figures. Not every fantasy story has a Messiah in it, but fantasy definitely seems to be the, a really fertile place for messianic expectations. Let's say that, right? Um, uh, but so I appreciate, I appreciate quote. I also, um, I also think Dune, while it is typically characterized as science fiction, um, I think I, I think it, I allowed it because it fits within so many fantasy sort of tropes in terms of kingdoms and politics and you know there's a lot of high fantasy stuff going on within those within those stuff so um actually i also had in my in my uh list of uh folks to answer um because i have been playing uh skyrim uh Mm -hmm. that uh within 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 skyrim the 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 player character is is the messiah Mm -hmm. the dragonborn um, so that uh, you, I was already there uh, with you, so I'm that's so great. But um, I'm also going to take even um, within, uh, even though uh, evidently one book is 
8,000 pages long. And the only thing that happens is the guy changes his pants, Randall Thor from the circle of time. <laughs> Robert Jordan, man, I, I don't know what the heck he's doing with some of that, but there is, that, that is a massive epic about the, uh, the dragon reborn uh, mm -hmm. messianic character. So um, it's, it's big in scope. And, and then I'll just throw another one because this is more of a, of a urban fantasy uh, moment. Um, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Uh, yeah. The, uh, <laughs> what's, what's the... Uh, I thought about Buffy. Buffy's great. All right. So uh, Sam did text me a question as he's now driving and he, he should be joining us here soon. But um, what makes a good Messiah? What... Um, and this might be part of getting into some of the nitty gritty stuff, theological stuff, but what makes a good Messiah? I mean, I, I feel like in fantasy, what makes like a good Messiah or a chosen one is just a really well-written prophecy. I really love a very nuanced prophecy that you read and pick apart and go, okay, how, are, how is the author going to subvert this and make it so the chosen one doesn't feel like they're just shoehorned into this role? Um, that's part of why I like what um, he said about Harry Potter um, and uh, beca because you have Harry Potter and he's experienced a great trauma um, but then you've also got Neville who's also experienced a great trauma and it's right. like you know in, in engaging with this prophecy without realizing it and does play a large role in in the the last you know that that battle at Hogwarts so um, I think, I think anytime there's, you know, a prophecy or some sort of, uh, you know, precursor event, something that happens or is given and passed down, that building of anticipation, um, it, it really kind of like just sets the tone for a really great Messiah figure in, uh, in fantasy. Mm -hmm. Anyone yeah, else? I, yeah, I'm sorry. No, good. I was saying anyone else, so go ahead. I, I, I totally agree with Ashley. The, the prophetic um, witness to the, to the Messiah, the fulfillment of a thing. Um, and also the fact, as you mentioned, um, in, in using Harry Potter as an example, just because I love it so much, between <laughs> Harry and Neville, there really wasn't that much difference, which was part of the reason why it was so like ambiguous. Like, is Harry really the chosen one or is it Neville? And I think um, in any fantasy where the messianic portion is unclear until there's like this one unique turning moment to, for us to say, yeah, he's definitely, or she's definitely the anointed one. She has been chosen. Um, and just to add to that, I think what makes a good Messiah is that they're ordinary. They're ordinary, mundane people um, like any one of us. Um, sorry, I didn't mean to insult or minimize. I'm like, you're all just so ordinary. <laughs> did you just call us basic? I did. I mean, aren't, aren't we? I'm so sorry. We are. It's fine. <laughs> but, you know, like, there's nothing so, like, it, it doesn't have to 
um, the supernatural. It doesn't have to be this otherworldliness, even though in some, with some fantasy messiahs, it is. But in, in most stories where it just start, starts off at a very um, grounded level and they achieve and accomplish things that um, any one of us can do. So I, I think that makes for a really good messianic narrative. Now, I agree with both of you. I think that's that's a really good synopsis of it. I do think there might be one more small element that I think for me really catches it. And I think you see this in a lot of the examples that we've seen mm -hmm. and that it's the caring about the people that are entrusted to their care. Mm -hmm. And so like you see for to, to go to Paul Atreides, like when he starts having the visions of the coming jihad, the thing that he's trying to do throughout the almost the entirety of Dune is how do I subvert this? Mm. How do I stop this war from happening? How do I stop the legions carrying the Atreides banner from going out and just massacring planet upon planet upon planet in the solar system? And that's his, that's one of his main things. I think we see the same thing with Harry Potter mm. and that Harry is just trying to stop Voldemort. Mm -hmm. Like he's just doing his hardest to stop it and to let no one else get hurt. I mean, look at the confrontation that he has near very near the very end when they are getting ready to create all the doppelgangers of him. And he's like, I do not want any more people dying for me. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I think that's just a really powerful statement. And he actually does die. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, spot on. Yeah, I think the risk definitely needs to be there. And if they're like, I guess that's that's probably where I get really critical of messianic figures in in, um, in fantasy is if there is no death or at least the very like constant threat of death. I just get kind of bored because it's like great, so you're really just untouchable. <laughs> you're Achilles without the Achilles heel, um, and so I just kind of like I just kind of cast them aside. But I find it interesting what you were saying, Alan, about. Paul and then Harry because because the thing that came to mind were the choices that they made to protect mm -hmm. the people that they love yeah and so I guess I'm curious about the role of choice in messianic figures and literature because you brought up quote and I remember when you asked me about that and do you think quote is a, is a messianic figure and immediately I was like, no he's too impulsive he makes stupid decisions he's in it for himself but then the more you talked about it the more I realized that no he probably fits the bill um so I just, I'm, I'm still, I'm still really sort of like, it, like you've convinced me. Oh, it's still, it's, just... it's still big if you feel me, because there's also huge, like, again, nerd, huge <laughs> fan theories about like, one of the biggest one fan theories is, is Quoth in a time loop? And is he actually mm. Talos? Interesting. Is he Talos caught in a time loop? Which would actually make him a deity. Huh. So this is where this gets really interesting. You know, the sacrifice sure. of uh, Talos uh, holding, um, oh, I can't, um, the name's right there, holding the demon onto the iron wheel and sacrificing himself um, to save everyone else, knowing that this would lock them both away for a while. Hmm. And if Quoth is in this time loop and he already knows 
that the evil has been unlocked that we see with all of the spidery things coming out and all of the evil forces that are pouring out into the world has that been broken open and he can't access his trunk to take his cloak, his key, and his coin. To... Just further evidence from the crackpot file. <laughs> You're 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 warming up. I'm I'm warming up to your idea there, Alan. That's <laughs> that's good. Um, I do like it. I, I got to go do, back and revisit do, it. Do, do you? Do <laughs> I? <laughs> so it's not, no, that's the wheels. Sorry, when the wheels are turning, the things that come out don't always sound. Hmm. I'm so. familiar with this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so. Here's the question, though. If we we'll, let's let's get a little biblical now. Um, how how do we see um, how do we see that these notions, the notions of sort of biblical Messiah? I, mean, I think some of the stuff that we've talked about has been there, right? Um, biblical messiahs are uh, chosen, right, or uh, particularly, especially anointed. Um, which is where the word Messiah comes from, from the Hebrew word Mashiach, right? So um, we have uh, anointing going on. They're being chosen, right? And, um, and I think it was something, as you guys talked about the way that they um, cared for the people, sort of the others around them and the choices that they made. Um, and so... Um, there's a hope there for a, a within within a lot of well, within the Messiah understanding in, in Scripture, a hope for a future Redeemer. In particular, it starts out Redeemer of Israel, right? And starting typically with with David, but moving on. Um, in the comments, uh, Matt Brake has has already lifted up the notion of Cyrus. Um, which is important because Isaiah 45, um, he gets listed as one of the Lord's anointed, a king who rescues Israel out of uh, exile into Babylon, uh, exile out of Babylon. They return them to Israel. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. So we have these notions of Messiah. Uh, how does, does, does Messiah in fantasy always hit those marks? I think both, maybe not, but um, a whole lot of it does sort of, Buffy's always has, is chosen to save the world, right? Over the Hellmouth. Um, Harry Potter saving the world from Voldemort. How do, um, so in some ways it always has to be within some notion of, of high fantasy that the world is literally at risk. Um, so what do you think some what are your thoughts there what I think about is um, making a distinction between who we identify the Messiah as versus who God has appointed and so we get a lot of the biblical narratives of where you know the prophet Nathan um, was going through selecting people who who physically fit the bill, you know, Saul was, was tall and handsome. He looked like he should be some form of a savior, but um, 
you know, a, a lot of these people who we think are messianic either turn away from God or end up falling out of favor, public favor, um, so to speak. Even can, King David, again, not a perfect human being, being in the least bit, um, but he was also supposedly, as, as the saying goes in what was in scripture, next to God's own heart. Um, and in some regard, when we watch um, the Avengers or if we read any of the comic books, Thanos um, can be seen as a messianic figure because in his own mind, he thought he was saving um, the galaxies. So yeah. I would, you know, kind of assert making that distinct distinction between who are we defining as the Messiah? What characteristics do we look for in our very human limitations versus ideally um, who, who God has appointed? Or sometimes do we feel like, you know, God is speaking through us and, and we say like, well, God designated this person to do this. Um, but it's really our voice and not the voice of the Holy Spirit or of God. So I'm just kind of sitting with that as, um, as some had highlighted King Cyrus. And I'm thinking about biblical narratives of Moses who um, killed someone and hid the body under the bush. And, um, you know, he was really shy and bashful and wasn't, didn't find himself to be much of a public speaker. Um, and didn't even see the promised land. Um, so, you know, there are all these other aspects of like these um, failings or shortcomings that these messianic figures um, experience. So just kind of sitting with that a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, Matt Brake uh, threw out their um, examples uh, or uh, Chosenness, uh, prophecy, deliverance, peace bringer, revenge bringer, example giver, uh, is a Messiah inherently nonviolent. Um, so, what do you think? Nonviolent in what way? I mean, Jesus flipped tables. That was a little hostile. And, he's, uh, and he sat in the temple braiding a whip for all to see, and people knew he meant business. <laughs> He said he came not to bring peace, but a sword. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have us pause for a second because um, our dear friend Sam has uh, uh, joined us. So I am making him a panelist now. So, um, yeah, I, well, David, David wages war, right? I mean, he's the king that delivers Israel. And that's very often, a, a you know, um, that's their job. So <laughs> wage war. Um, so it is. Uh, there, Sam. You're muted, Sam. Oh, there we go. All right. Did you find me? Yeah, you're there. Okay, here yeah. we go. Um, hey, that Skyrim game was hard, huh? <laughs> we told everyone all about you sam oh i know i've been listening <laughs> and hearing all of your evil comments so we will i'm sure we will burn i'm here um, to defend all defend my my reputation and my honor well okay sam it so, won't take long because <laughs> there's not much to defend not much to defend how about <laughs> um how about you uh just introduce yourself here real quick 
Sure. Uh, Samuel Blair. I'm co-host of Church of the Geek with Brian, and uh, I'm here in Pittsburgh working currently with uh, Bridges Hospice as a hospice chaplain full-time. Uh, and full-time geek. So, and full-time geek. Yeah. And Shana, I love your background. Thank you. <laughs> Dungeons and Dragons, everyone, just in case you're not familiar with the cartoon. I'm an 80s kid. <laughs> Very much so myself included. Awesome. So, uh, Sam, uh, we'll give you a chance to answer. Uh, what was your, uh, who's your Messiah? I mean, my sci-fi is much more my thing. So thinking about fantasy, I, the, the obvious choice was, uh, was Gandalf because it's quick and easy and it's a pretty, he, he hits all the buttons of, you know, I think that was, that was my question is what makes a good messiah? And he really, you know, to my mind, you know, is a good example of in fantasy, someone that makes a good messiah in that. And, you know, listening to some of the comments was, uh, you know, someone who is able to uh, face risk and take chances and uh, stand in the gap for his people and his friends. Um, even, you know, to die in the process and come back and is someone who, it, and I think, you know, Gandalf kind of in some way is, is a little bit of a, of a different messiah in that he really has a sense of, of who he is and a sense of humor about it. I think a lot of times in, um, in literature, when you have a, a messiah figure one of the things that you know happens i think you know like we've talked about with harry harry potter and so on is that it's a role that they grow into and it's a role that they um are reluctant to grow into at times and when we're introduced to gandalf it's like he's there and this you know this is who he is and he's very much embraced it not as much as a as a a messiah and as a savior but he knows who he is and he knows what he's there to do and i thought you know that you know to me was was an interesting interesting part of the formula that is you know kind of missing from the the typical kind of uh, story that you would see in 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 fantasy or around like a messiah figure that kind of you know t typically follows that line of someone who's uh, small but is chosen that is then brought up and transformed goes through goes through peril and uh, faces death and in the process of that you know standing in the in the the gap for uh, his people his friends the world um, is transformed in the process I think that's really important like for most of the most of the fantasy narratives, I believe that most of us are going along the journey with the person as they grow into their identity. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so lifting up Gandalf, you are correct. We don't have that so much uh, for him. Uh, there are other messianic figures in Lord of the Rings that we do go on that journey because Frodo I think is, is the other one, uh, mm -hmm. another one, but we watch, uh, we watch Frodo, set his eyes towards Jerusalem, right? Um, as he moves on, the, the burden of the ring just 
nearly crushes him, right? Gets has to get to the very end, um, and he he almost does it if not for uh, Gollum there. Mm-hmm. But um, we go along we go along uh, with Aragorn as well because I think that's the other end. We we um, we watch him grow into the identity of of the king of Gondor, right? Isildur's heir, mm-hmm. um, and I think that's I think that's really important. Which makes me wonder. Because we've had 2,000 years to um, live with it, do we miss the journeys that Jesus takes um, as growing into, right? Is there a sense that Jesus grows into the Messiah or, or accepts the identity? Um, and it does, I think it depends what, what gospel you read, uh, how that happens. But um, there are ways that we take the journey uh, sort of, go along the journey with Jesus, see Jesus slowly gather. Because we haven't, we haven't mentioned Jesus yet, you know, but I think that's, <clears throat> for me, that's kind of the big one, you know, but um, how we move into that. I, so, uh, I, I, thanks, Sam. I, I think that's really, part of that is a narrative thing that we grow into, but the um, scenario um, doesn't always have to be that way. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think I think Gandalf's. I mean, it helps that Gandalf's not human, so yeah, um, you know, he he's part of the mythological structure, but yeah. Other thoughts? Well, I do think we'd be amiss if we didn't mention Samwise as well as a as a form of messianic <laughs> character in some way. Why are you why are you frowning? I'm not I'm not frowning. I'm not frowning. I'm Sam's not the one that's got sirens in the background. It's making me wonder why he was late. <laughs> no, it was my those were my sirens. <laughs> oh, they're your sirens. Those were my yeah. sirens. <laughs> when the door um, kicks in here in a second, it'll you'll understand. No. Um Yeah, no, that was men. That was mine. So okay, go ahead, go with Samwise. Well, just in that that constant sort of camaraderie that he has that is exhausted that's we don't we don't get just sort of like a constant happy-go-lucky friendship between him and Frodo it is it is strained perpetually through the journey and I think that sort of you know constant vigilance um and um and accountability that he he holds for Frodo is is incredibly sort of messianic in scope um, especially with, with how protective he is, you know, and, and the endurance that he has um, to kind of continue on that, that course when in the beginning you wouldn't, you would have, any reader would have looked him over, um, but he was intentionally written that way uh, because he was meant to be like anyone else. Tolkien mm-hmm. wrote him as, as a hero because he was just like a, a nobody. He wasn't going to be a king. He wasn't a wizard. Um, he was just sort of just sort of present and willing you know he he um he arose to his call in a in a big way that i think no one else would have think you know sort of thought of that in his own community and i think uh, frodo and then thereby sam aren't really chosen by any prophecy it it simply happened that frodo was the was the inheritor of this ring from his uncle. Um, 
And so in a sense, it was, I mean, it's similar to Buffy. They're simply chosen by fate. Okay. It was, that's just how that, uh, how that rolled. Um, but in the, in the same way, there's that sense that they were chosen and it's not something that they can just give up. Right. Even though it's, even though it is just in a, in a way, a sort of the role of the dice. I think there, I mean, there's also the sense too, that the ring chooses who it goes to. And so even then, you know, there's that constant struggle of, of, of Frodo, you know, having, having to carry this burden and wanting to be rid of it at the same time. And, you know, that's a real, that's a real challenge of, and, you know, part of that, that messianic role of, you know, bearing, bearing the burdens that other people, other people can't. Which one, one question I have, and this is kind of, you know, ping-ponging off the, uh, the interplay between Frodo and Sam. Um, what, what makes a messianic figure, what makes a heroic figure? Um, because in many ways, like I see Sam as a heroic figure at, because he's, he's the person that is sort of carrying, um, in many ways, Frodo along. And, and helping him and he's not the one necessarily standing in, in the gap and sacrificing himself, but he is the one who is, will, who is willing to bear the burden of the one who bears the burden, which is, which is a, I think, you know, a pretty heroic act that, you know, that selflessness that, that he has. Um, and I think that, you know, that there are, are folks in the scripture too, who are heroic without necessarily being, being messiahs. You know, there's always the, you know, there's so many characters, you know, from, from the judges and so on and other, um, I think you can even look at, you know, Peter as someone who has the features of a heroic character without being necessarily a, a messianic character. Um, whereas like I look at, at Moses as being a very messianic character, you know, someone who is literally standing in the gap between you know, God and the Israelites and leading them on this journey through, through the desert that is going to transform them and trans and um, change the minimal in, in all of this process, you know, fraught with danger and um, the constant, you know, looming of death and armies and, and attack and so on. And then Aaron in a way kind of stands beside Moses as the heroic figure who is standing beside him, giving him strength, and uh, kind of doing battle in those ways. He's, he's like the voice that Moses, you know, doesn't quite have. Thank you for lifting that up, Sam, because I couldn't put my finger on it. I'm like, okay, we have a lot of great protagonists, but not all of them are Messiah-like. So I think making that distinction between um, heroism and um, being a Messiah, I think that's really poignant. Um, which actually begs the question as well, like can the Messiah be the Messiah without the support of, mm -hmm. of friends? I mean, you mentioned Jesus and, and Moses and you know, Moses had his Aaron and Joshua, Jesus had his 12 boys and you know, Mary, all the Marys. Um, <laughs> all of them, all the Marys. The Trinity of Marys, um, and you know, when we think of any Harry Potter, and we name a character, any character, they all had their supporting cast, and they all came into realization only 
through that type of support, sometimes needing to go alone to see who they are for themselves, and then coming back into community where many of their friends were kind of like their moral conscious, you know, they were like the, you know, uh, the Seraphonician woman <laughs> telling Jesus like, look, even dogs need crumbs. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's always that, like that testing, that pushing the um, iron, sharpening iron um, for many of these messianic figures. So I think that is a, a really great point. And that was kind of my question, like can a Messiah be a Messiah all by themselves without friends? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Even Buffy had friends. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> no, I think that's right. Um, that's a, that is a good point that very rarely... Um, I think part of it goes back to the risk factor. Um, they have to... Uh, well, maybe they don't have to, but it's far easier uh, for us to accept them if they actually risk human relationship, right? If they're here to save us, that I feel like it's really important for them to get us. Mm -hmm. um, and so they need, they need others. And um, yeah, if it's, just, if it's just them doing their own thing, well, okay, but it doesn't make for a good story much either. You know, Frodo strolled into Mordor and dropped the ring in the in the in the uh, uh, volcano because he could. I, I mean, no. so that's true. And I guess it would take a great sense of humility and modesty for someone to think like, "Oh, I can do this by myself." You know. Michael Jordan could, well, yeah, never mind. Bad example. He could. <laughs> he could. <laughs> Michael Jordan, everybody else throughout human history needed support. Michael Jordan had a Scottie Pippen, I'm sure. Yeah, this is true. <laughs> <laughs> but he, Jordan could make those points all by himself. Yep. <laughs> I know you're right. All right. Um, I'm going to give folks a chance, uh, because we are coming up here, um, uh, coming up towards our hour. I am, uh, before I give uh, panelists a chance to just give something that they're geeking out about, um, are there any questions, uh, that anyone wants, um, wants to ask? I'm just scrolling through some of the chat here. Someone yep. didn't recognize you without your beard. Right. <laughs> uh, you can either raise your hand. If you wanted to ask a question, you can raise your hand um, or uh, drop something in the chat or in the uh, Q&A uh, panel. And um, I'm surprised no one mentioned any of the, the star movies, Star Wars or Star Trek. I think someone mentioned it in chat at one point. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that was, was that Shana? Yeah, I was yeah. like trying to like, you know, well, Shana, <laughs> I, I do see your note, Shana, about uh, Joseph Campbell's The Heroic Journey. That's why I was in my phone because yeah. I would be, our co-host, the third wheel of Max, would have my hide or would have our collective hides and we did not bring up Joseph Campbell 
and the hero's journey. So mm-hmm. I, Kyle can come at me. He talks about that <laughs> every episode. Like Kyle is basic. Right. So uh, Tahina mentioned in the in the in the chat that she was thinking more fantasy, and that's why I think none of us said any of the Star Wars Star Trek stuff because um, we weren't thinking science fiction. Although, again, you know, we let Dune slip in. Um, Star Wars is a pretty he- can be pretty heavy fantasy, though, if you yeah, think about it's it. Space that, it's yeah, space wizards. It is space yeah. wizards. You're right. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Yes, and and Tahina. Um, brings up the uh, Obi-Wan screaming to Anakin, you were the chosen one. So, <laughs> there is a Messiah in a sense, sort of the anti-Messiah. Yeah. Or the mm-hmm. redemption of the anti-Messiah, ultimately. So, Anakin was supposed to be. Mm. You mm-hmm. were the chosen one. Oh, man. You suck. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, Luke very much just follows the the hero's journey to a T. So one hundred percent. Well, because yeah, exactly. because George Lucas had read exactly Joseph Campbell. So mm-hmm. come on, it's not without reason, right? So that needs to be a whole nother episode just focusing on Joseph Campbell's. Oh, we'll have to make sure Kyle's here for that. <laughs> he will, we'll just be able to step out and he'll just talk for an hour. Yeah, I would no... make him I would make him take off work for that. <laughs> um all right. Unless all right. So folks can still throw a question out there. Um uh, if you want uh, or um but um we're going to take a time here now to uh for folks to talk about what are you geeking out about right now? Uh, Sam and I end every uh, one of our episodes with this. Gives you a chance to uh, just talk about something that you're really enjoying or something you want to uh, um, lift up. Give it a little signal boost because you, you enjoy it so much. So, uh, Shana, what are you geeking out about right now? Um, I've been binge watching The Legend of Korra on Netflix. <laughs> so good. It is so good. I'm a huge um, Avatar The Last Airbender um, cartoon. I don't, it wouldn't be considered anime, no. Um, but it has some of those characteristics. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm just loving that. I mean, as we're talking about heroes and messiahs and things like that, the Avatar is um, the messiah in the show. Having yes. to all four elements um, and, and keeping the peace between not so much good and evil, but rather light and darkness, recognizing that everyone carries both within. Um, so it, it's been quite a fascinating journey being able to, to watch The Legend of Korra with my younger brother Ishmael, age nine, who is a whole season ahead of me. So we're kind of competing a little bit. And um, so, yeah, so that's what I'm geeking out about these days. Well, I do think it's interesting because I think that's one of the few like Messiah narratives. I think think back to Avatar, Last Airbender. That's not, I think, rooted in uh, Judaism or Christianity's notions of Messiah, right? Uh, Avatar is a is fantastic. Avatar, Last Airbender is fantastic, and it's um, it's very uh, Eastern. Um, in its, in its worldview. And so it's not, um, 
it's not the, it, it, it deviates from that, from a lot of our own, the way we have seen messiahs pop up. So I'm kind of surprised that none of us said that actually though now, because that's a great one. And it's, and it's, and it's coming back to life. Actually, Sam and I were just talking about that the other night. So. And it actually talks about spirituality. Versus yeah. Yeah. Very much. You know, it's more like, you know, magic and, you know, all those wonderful things. And this one delves into appreciation of the earth and how does spirit, um, how it's embodied in trees and animals and, and people. So it's a little bit closer to Christianity than, um, than some of the other narratives that we mentioned. Yeah. And especially in the latter seasons uh, of Korra, you get the tension between Tenzin trying to push her to explore the spirituality side and that she's missing a huge portion of her avatarness by not tapping into that and it i believe it's season two season two or yeah. season three to where it's the whole core arc and you don't get that resolved until the very end and it goes very badly until she starts exploring this absolutely cool. I love you. <laughs> Alan, let's go to you. What are you geeking out about? Uh, well, I mean, I'm back in the Duneverse. This trailer has me all excited. I've watched it. <laughs> Lost track of times I've watched it at this point. Um, I'm just scraping it for every ounce of goodness that it is, and it has me excited. Uh, Denny seems like that he has gone through and done his magic and the cast of characters that they have in the, the cast makes me so freaking excited for this thing. I can hardly stand it. So I think this is the best chance we have at getting the Dune movie everyone has always wanted. So I am so very excited. Excellent. That's awesome. Yeah, it's, it's a pretty good trailer. Mm -hmm. So I hope the movie's as good. Yes. So, <laughs> Ashley, are you able to answer right now or do you need a minute to compose yourself? No, no, I'm good. Because I, I am, for the love that I bear this man, I am reading Dune. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, I, you are. This is like my eighth or ninth attempt. And I am, I, I hit my record. I am at like a, page 152 or so. Mm. So like actually in the book now um so i'm very proud of myself so i'm geeking out about my own progress uh and perseverance but i'm also <laughs> in my breaks um and re i am reading a lot of sci-fi i'm going through a bunch of um arthur c Clarke's short stories hmm. i'm going through the sentinel which has been really interesting because i was just curious in trying to read a great epic like dune um how you would try to you know fit sci-fi into something in a, such a smaller format and still get all the nuance and the technology etc um which also brings up r.a lafferty who is um a catholic sci-fi author and you wouldn't probably get that because it's his his short stories are very absurdist in nature um but they really hit on some um some pretty critical points i think about human nature and you you'll read them and either you'll miss the point and go i don't know what the heck that was about that was very strange and probably leave it um or sometimes you'll hit um hit a the end of a short story and go i have to rethink a lot of things now <laughs> this has given me a, a lot to process about myself um and uh and i think it takes a lot of what i enjoy about arthur c Clarke so far 
with the sort of like um, specificity of his language and, and the descriptions of the world building, that the worlds that he fits into each short story. Um, I think R.A. Lafferty takes a lot of that um, and just really plays plays with it and makes it very strange in a way that doesn't make you feel like you're, you're reading a typical sci-fi short story, that you're reading something entirely new. Um, so I we found a really great local thrift bookstore that it's hard to find R.A. Lafferty's work anywhere, but I happened to come across a big stack of old sci-fi um, short story magazines from like the 60s. And I started digging through them because I knew what I saw and found at least two that had R.A. Lafferty short stories in them. So I, I mean, like, I came in with an armful of books and now it's like, they're two bucks. Yeah, fine. <laughs> nice. You said that, is that Lafferty, L-A-F-F-E-R-T-Y? Lafferty. Lafferty, yeah. yeah. L-A-F-F, yeah. Cool. All right. Sam, what about you? Um, I'll kind of pop in two things. Um, one, we, we mentioned um, The Legend of Korra. And uh, yeah, I've been watching that with my son. And I've also jumped back into, um, it's like first time rewatching uh, Neon Genesis um, Evangelion, which is a real it's i'm which i was surprised to see that it was i think it's 25 years old it's one of those ones where you look at it and you see the material and you see the the you know where it is and it's like this could not have been made 25 years ago because it feel you know it's just too too like blow your brain out and and crazy and wild and edgy and disturbing at points and awesome at others um but and and that was is another one I think that has some real elements of the of messianic figures, um, but really takes it in a really interesting direction where you know that's you know the premises of it is there are these children that pilot these gigantic um, mechs, they're biological mechs that um, they use to fight these um, aliens that are called angels, and but that it has to be children. And they have to kind of be chosen to pair up with these individual uh, Eva suits. And like the main character, uh, uh, Sinji, is completely does not want to do it. And they have to keep on dragging him back into uh, the, the suit so that he can go and, you know, save uh, Tokyo three and, you know, all this other stuff, but it's, it's a really, it's an interesting take on that in terms of he just, it, he's a Messiah that just absolutely hates that he is the Messiah and having to, having to do that. And, um, second thing just real quick is, um, and back in the comics world is, uh, there's a, cause I follow X-Men, the, uh, X of swords event or 10 of swords event is, um, it's, it's hard to say whether it's out or done or not because everything that Marvel has put out has been so like pushed aside. And it, it seems like some of the, some of the stuff that's been written about talking about, like it's already done. I'm still like getting the first, <laughs> first couple trickles of it. So, um, but that's, that's like the, the next step in um, Hickman's view of what impact do the X-Men have now on the world now that they have this whole, like they have a whole mutant nation that they've all banded together and have their own thing. And they've 
had their fingers in other worlds and other other dimensions and so on and um so it's it's going to be a, a, i don't know too much about it i'm trying not to read too much about it because i don't want to spoil too much for myself but um it seems like it's going to be an interesting event so okay on that note though hold on sam because yeah. one of our one of our uh, attendees here uh Talen, said um they're just getting into comic books mm -hmm. and want recommendations. Well, there you go. So there is one, X of Swords, 10 of Swords, however. Mm -hmm. um, House of X, uh, Powers of 10 or Powers of X would be, a, would be a good one to read probably before that. Yeah, definitely to pick up on, um, on sort of where they are and where the characters are and what that's all building on. I am going to say that the recent Kelly Thompson run of Captain Marvel, I have thoroughly enjoyed that um that's a good one um and i saw some shaking head nodding heads over in the the mauer uh, corner you oh got my gosh i just love comic books so much um so i we just got our library cards and that was another situation in which i walked over with a large stack of books that were all graphic novels and comic book anthologies it was 12, kind of embarrassing 12 i believe the no well okay our limit is 30, 30 okay and i paced myself by what i could read within a week so you, have you to paced give me yourself some by credit. what you could carry in your bare arms <laughs> but um <laughs> Um, but I, I will say, just based off of the conversations of heroism and, and messianic figures in literature, the, the Vox Machina comic book series, I was expecting to kind of just be like, it's whatever, it was an internet show, and now they made some more products. But hey, it's whoa, 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 very, just very an internet show. No, 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 I know, but like, you know when something is online, and it's very online, and then they make merch, and you're just like, it'll be internet merch, it's, you know, going to be hit or miss. I really was just like, It'll be, it'll be a lot of inside jokes and it'll be fine. But it was like, I didn't even know who Vox Machina was. It's incredible. Like, it's so good. And I love, like you were mentioning about walking through um, characters as they grow within yeah. their like chosenness, um, how well they do that. Um, it's, it's, it's been so fun to read. Um, another, if you can handle, if you like graphic novels, there's um, a, like a, a graphic novel I guess you'd refer to it as like a diptych. It's a two-part volume um, called Boxers and Saints by Jean Luen Yang. And uh, it talks about the Boxer Rebellion from two sides. from One from one who is a part of the rebellion and one from a woman who grows up in a, in a mission. Um, she, they, so they both have these really interesting conversations about faith from two completely different traditions, how China is changing throughout that period um, how the, this one French missionary kind of makes some faux pas culturally and really mistranslates what he is trying to communicate to his mission. And he deeply cares, but he just, he messes up because he doesn't know um, and how that affects. And there are some really interesting moments of interactivity for the reader where you have to actually translate based off of a script that Jin Nguyen Lang created for the books. So you have to like translate for yourself this coded language and then it adds another dimension to the to the narrative. It's just incredible. I had an opportunity to present on it in Cambridge and everyone's like, ontology, epistemology. And I'm like, eh, comic books are cool. So like, <laughs> just stood out like a sore thumb. But it was, I would never trade that experience for the world because to be able to bring comic books to that arena was so good. And uh, Boxers and Saints is like chef's kiss. Yeah. I'll also lift up um, a lot of the um, 
Jason Aaron's titles of, uh, that he wrote for Thor. Um, definitely uh, worth checking out. Really great questions. So, Taylor, I hope that gives you lots of uh, uh, recommendations there. A lot of stuff to sink your teeth into. Um, and uh, never be afraid to pick something up, even if you're, you don't know what it is, because it could be something really worthwhile. So, um, and I will only add that uh, right now, geeking out in the uh, uh, same thing, the, uh, um, the new uh, HBO series, uh, Lovecraft Country is so incredibly uh, good. Um, enjoy, I am enjoying that immensely. It's not even all done yet, and I'm, I'm a little behind, but uh, uh, it's, it has a, it's unsettling and um, bizarre and uh, very cool. So thank you all. Uh, thank you, uh, Shana, Alan, Ashley, Sam. Sam, especially for finally showing. No, uh, uh, glad you. That is all totally on me. <laughs> <laughs> um, so happy uh, you guys were here. Thanks for uh, joining in in this conversation. Um, thank you all uh, who attended. Uh, please know that uh, there is still time to register for Saturday uh, uh, stuff that's going on tomorrow night. Shana is doing her from Blackface to Black Panther um presentation um that's also uh available uh to check out so um what time is that that's a seven thirty tomorrow night right Seven thirty. okay i mean for you sam seven it's for it's for you well yeah well and that's but, i had seven thirty in my brain which i was like oh i have plenty of time to get back from picking up no worries no really it's fine man no it's um, not. it is cool. <laughs> um but anyway Tomorrow we will have um, Hilton George, the founder and creator of BlurredCon. Blurred combines black and nerd. So he does his comic book style convention in um, Crystal City every year. And they actually just had their online virtual convention this past summer where they interviewed the cast of Lovecraft. So it'll be great to oh, have that's him awesome. as Fantastic. my panelist. That's awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, then, uh, again, everyone, thanks for being here. Um, join in the rest of uh, Theocon this weekend. And uh, as always, trust in God, wash your hands, wear a mask, and geek be with you. And also with you. And also with you.